Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a Thursday, March 31st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, a gloomy, windy, extremely windy Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, yeah, it's so windy that Cleese the dog, she made an appearance middle of the night and uh i'm a little bit sleepier than usual because she's not about it she was not about uh the crazy winds that uh went through east tennessee uh last night but yeah we're here we're still standing new podcast today uh jam packed show for you guys today so very excited to dive into all this but we have coach david thorpe of true hoop to talk all things nba to kick things off we uh then have dp uh uh, of the Houston Texans, uh, HoustonTexans.com, to talk all things, you guessed it, Houston Texans, Watson, Levy Smith, uh, Davis Mills, all that, uh, their their offseason plans, draft strategy, uh, really great stuff there. And then special guest, yeah, Montana State's head football coach. You, you remember that like awesome uh, skyline that we saw in the FCS semifinal game a few months back college football fans well yeah he's here the guy who coaches at that great location in bozeman montana um i gotta get down there for a game or i guess up there rather uh for a game because it looks gorgeous they had a great season and um brent vegan's doing a great job there so talk about uh his team coaching josh allen back at wyoming um national parks some big game in uh, in Bozeman, Montana. Um, what he learned from Coach Bull in Wyoming, all that and more coming up on this jam pack Thursday, March thirty first edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So, thank you, folks, for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, let me just go ahead and say, if you have not already done so, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're already subscribed and listen to these episodes every single day and you have not already done so, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast. Helps other people find the show, helps this show continue to grow, tell other folks why you like this show. Um, a lot of consistent guests, so if you have one that's your favorite, like Fangraphs John Taylor, uh, The Full Rides Matt Green, whoever, um, Atlanta Sports Guys, Go Big Garange, Sports Reporters. Uh, we just have a really, really great uh, cast of characters who appear on this very program every week. So um, let us know and let them know why you like this this program. So uh, you can also watch this very program on YouTube. Oh, yeah, we're on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Most Podcast. That's simple. Find us, hit that subscribe button, and uh, follow, share it out if you would prefer to watch these uh, episodes. Um, don't forget, folks, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sportsrenaissanceman, that's me. Have an email, that's simple. Headquarters, HQ, uh, chasethomaspodcast.com. Follow me on Twitter, chase double underscore Thomas, and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by one of my favorite NBA minds, NBA authors, NBA writers, TrueHoop.com, a very good NBA website that you should go subscribe to, like myself, if you have not already done so. Coach Thorpe, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Chase. Happy to talk basketball with you. Yeah. Do you ever get like, <laughs> is there ever a point during the season where you're like, you know what? I just want to talk some Florida Gators football. I just want to talk. No. No. 
I don't I don't follow the Gator football team anymore. Other than they do have a player on the team that starts uh, that my younger brother has mentored a ton. I definitely mm-hmm. spent some good amount of time with them. Richard Garage, uh, uh, their best tackle. But uh, I gave up uh, college football when I had kids, basically. Yeah, twenty almost twenty one years ago. Yeah, I, I spent enough time rooting for <laughs> for that sport and that team. Uh, I'm a, I'm mostly a basketball guy now. Well, now you've got your son who plays on the Florida State basketball team under Coach Hamilton, and yeah. uh, I have a lot of FSU alums in my family. Um, yeah. So I've been down there, been to Doak, had some fun memories that we'll not talk about on this podcast about my time uh, visiting for weekends in Tallahassee. How does how does he like it? Does he like the atmosphere? Does he get to go to games like football games? Does he have the time? Like how is he? How has he done thus far uh, in Tallahassee? I just talked to him. You know, I talked to him probably once or twice a day, mostly mm. about basketball-related stuff. He's the happiest kid in the world. It's uh, it's unfair to be 20 <laughs> years old and be so lucky. Um, he does go to some of the games. They tend to have practice early, and then they'll do a barbecue for the team. If their recruits are in town, they'll have recruits come out, and then they, they'll go to the game. But I, he doesn't always stay. First of all, they're not very good. Yeah, uh, he wants them to be good. Like he definitely, you know, he knows some of the athletes. He cares about it. But uh, Saturdays are days to catch up on schoolwork uh, and um, recover from practice. You know, once they start practicing in September, October, whenever it is. But no, he Tallahassee is a really. I went to Florida, but Tallahassee is a fun, fun place to go to school too. Mm-hmm. And um, he's definitely having a great, great time. He loves the team and loves his coaches and. His graduate assistants and his teammates are the world to him. So, yeah, he's a, like I said, he's the happiest kid you'll ever meet. There you go. Um, well, we're going to talk some NBA stuff tonight here mm-hmm. on the podcast, Coach. And I wanted to start off with what what have you been thinking about? Like, you're obviously a writer for True Hoop, and you think about a lot of different story ideas. And we'll get into one in particular that I uh, very much enjoyed on LeBron in a little bit. But what storylines have you just jotted down during your nightly viewing where you're like, this is interesting. I want to, I want to watch more here. I want, this is interesting. I want to see what they're doing here. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you of late that is just really had you thinking on your, on your daily walks? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the truth is it's uh, it would take 25 hours. It just never, mm-hmm. my, you know, I don't know that I'm very smart, but my brain doesn't stop with stuff like this. So if I'm watching a game, 20 things will come to mind all the time. What I'm writing about this week, we'll publish mm-hmm. on Friday is I'm looking at the uh, Grizzlies and why they're better when Jaw's not playing, and yet he's one of the best players in the world. Yeah. So I'm I'm breaking that down. But um, I'm probably intrigued with many of the same things everyone else is. Uh, I have my own biases, you know, players that I particularly like, um, teams that run certain things that I like. Uh, I've been watching Toronto some recently and seeing how well Siakam and Barnes partner together. Uh does their partnership working this well? Does, has that surprised you at all? No, 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 mm-hmm. not at all. I think they complement each other really well. They both uh, can play with anybody, really. Mm-hmm. They're just that kind of player. So, um, I really in the year I liked Cleveland more than I was fun to watch. Now, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss Rookie of the Year. That's an interesting yeah. thing to look at those two players and Cade. Mm-hmm. Um, I root for my friend Dwayne Casey. I watched the Pistons. Um, I did a Miami show last night, so I, I kind of I know we're going to talk about the Heat a little bit. I doubt yeah. on, on them some, but yeah, um, you know, I, I sit in. I have a, a number of hats because, in addition to just being an analyst with True Hoop and doing a lot of these kind of pods every day, uh, I mentor a lot of coaches, not just mm-hmm. necessarily in the NBA. Some are or G League, but everywhere. 
And so I'm always trying to study the best league in the world and and how can I uh, kind of boil it down to the basic fundamentals to give to high school, college coaches, coaches overseas, uh, what teams are doing, what's working. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, when it comes to that kind of stuff, um, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because it all interests me, all of it. What, mm-hmm. what doesn't interest me is what Charles Barkley says on TV. <laughs> I don't have any idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't really interest me what those former players say, not always even what current players say, although I do love J.J. Redick. We'll talk about him later maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his stuff. But uh, I do like hearing coaches talk, motivate, uh, and watching what's going on in the, in the court. Is there anything in particular that you've noticed? Because, I mean, you've obviously been working with coaches for a long time. Has there been a gradual shift in what they're frustrated by or what they need more assistance is, or they just kind of like seek your guidance or your uh, mentorship in an area that was not common 20 years ago? I mean, it's a, it runs the whole gamut. I got a mm-hmm. call the other day. I, I actually may have told the story on, on our podcast, bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um a G League coach that I've mentored for 16 years or so now, like a real close family member to me, really, and Ryan Pannone, who is the coach of the Birmingham Squadron for the Pelicans uh, G League team. He called me. I was sitting with my wife, actually, in our in our TV room, and he said he wanted to thank me because they had played three games back, uh, a really terrible defensive game and got blown out mm. and uh, gave 140 points. And he said, after the game, I went and talked to the players and I was super cool and loving and, and really try to connect with them. And uh, he said, my assistant coaches seemed really surprised. I didn't just, you know, peel the paint off the walls with, you know, anger. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, Coach Thorpe always taught me we're first business, first in the business to inspire. And I, I think we need to inspire these guys more. And then he said they collaborated as, as a coaching staff on how can we get them to play harder? Can we play smarter? What do we do differently? So he called me after they won their second straight game. The second one, they I think they gave up um, 36 fourth quarter points in a blowout. They only gave up 96 for the game. So it didn't even matter. They had 60 points in three quarters or so. Yeah. And, um, and so I tell you that story because that's as much a part of this as anything. And that is the coaches who only focus on X's and O's are making a mistake. Just like the coaches who only focus on the spirit aspect or the inspirational aspect, the motivational aspect of the game are making a mistake. You have to do both. There's a science mm-hmm. and an art to coaching. And um, so I, I think a lot of my players, I've got another NBA guy that I'm really close with. That's a second year coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk a lot about connecting to players. He's very good at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk a lot about connecting to players because it doesn't matter what you tell them if they don't trust you. You have to get them to trust you. So that's a big part of our conversations. That seems like the biggest thing. Like I talk, I just talked to another college football coach uh, just before we got on this podcast, and it seems like that is something that has shifted. Where it's not a negative, it's not a positive. It's just that the way you kids are, kids are still kids, but it does seem like the number one thing people are like, oh, it's money, or it's this, or it's egocentric. It's like no, they just want to trust you because they are thinking big picture and they're thinking like I've got to be able to trust this person to get me to where I want to go. There's there seems like there's a bigger emphasis on proving to kids and these young men that like, Hey, I have your best interest in mind. There, there is just so much in on um, just making sure that you have that trust and that they are fully bought in, that you are fully bought in on them. That seems like the biggest thing. Have you noticed that? Well, our children have changed in generations. I'm Mm -hmm. 
you know, three years away from being 60, which is hard yeah. to imagine. I started coaching. I was in college when I first started coaching. You mm-hmm. know, my, my, I was 20 years old when I coached my first team. And um, my generation, I was born in the 60s. Mm-hmm. We were taught just directly and indirectly to trust adults. Yeah. Which for a long time I felt was just the dumbest damn thing. <laughs> uh, adults are morons. They're idiots. If you're lucky to find a good one, hang on to him or her with your dear life because they're so rare. Yeah. They're incompetent. They're untrustworthy. Uh, they have their own agendas and often at the expense of younger people. And so I think this new generation is way smarter. Yeah. Uh, or I, I tell my players all the time, uh, now I'm lucky enough where they know who I am and they call me typically mm-hmm. uh, or come work with me or I go see them. And I always tell them, don't trust me because I'm well-known in this industry. I need to earn it. And I, I challenge them to not be afraid to challenge me. Don't be a jerk about it. I won't be a jerk about it. Mm-hmm. But we'll collaborate. It isn't just me dictating to you, even though I, I definitely know what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if you don't hear what I'm saying. We have to work together on this. And uh, after, normally after a player is here for a week, if they're supposed to be here for longer, I'll say, it's not too late to leave. Like this is, mm-hmm. let's just cut bait right now. I've had one NBA player where after a week I had his agent fly in and uh and basically say I, I don't really think he should be here and he liked it just fine but he was the player was fine to leave too which was my point like the guys mm-hmm. who are here want to be here and um i think that integrity is is valuable on both ends we we have to earn their trust and they shouldn't be so quick to give it mm-hmm. and i think that's a better way forward for everybody bringing it back to the grizzlies you mentioned them and uh your piece you got coming out on friday on how yeah. they're winning without jaw i had a uh, um to Michael Cole on um, who covers the Memphis Grizzlies for the commercial appeal yeah. uh, yesterday. And I asked him about it too, cause he's watching every game and I like being a Hawks guy, like I watch every Hawks game and I pick a different team every week. This is from uh, Carlin Gay who put me on this because I'm not a league pass bouncer rounder guy. I don't know how you view, like if you have like four different games on at once, I can't yeah. do that. Cause I feel like I don't learn anything. I feel like I, I miss everything by trying to watch everything when I do that. So I pick one team a week outside of the Hawks that I, I just keep up with like I'm on the team bus, like I'm on the beat for them for that <laughs> week. And Carlin did that. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is so much better. Like this is such a better use of my time. And I have a good understanding of this team. But for people that actually watch every Grizzlies game, I wanted to get his perspective because I'm like, it is so weird that they've been so good without him. And I mean, Jaw even had to deal with some pushback from fans about this where they were like, we're better without you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like that happened a couple months ago. And it was just such a weird thing because you look around the league and so many different rosters, like the Hawks, especially when Trey's not on the floor, Trey's not playing well, that team just dies. And they've struggled to find a backup point guard who can keep this thing afloat when he sits. But it's not the case in Memphis and his idea, not to like dive, uh, spoil your article or anything. You don't have to go too deep into this. But his perspective was Tyus Jones is a big part of this, is the guy does not turn the ball over ever. Like the man is just built to be an all-time great backup point guard. And the way he plays is so different um, than job, but he keeps things afloat. And Desmond Bain spending time in the summer league, learning point guard skills, learning how to be a league guard. And like, he was not just going to be a catch and shoot guy and things like that. But it's also just the offense is not built around jaw. Like it is for every, for a lot of other superstar teams where it's built, it, it, it flows through that superstar X. Like, the uh, Taylor Jenkins Taylor Jenkins scheme is Taylor Jenkins scheme when not John Morant is on the floor or not, and that is something that he's noticed is that like, hey, the, if Jaw's here or not, we're doing the same stuff. When Jaw's here, it's better. We we have a higher ceiling, obviously, but like 
we're still going to do what I want to do. And that uh, that was his his thesis, though. I thought that was pretty interesting. So don't spoil your article. But that, does that make sense to you, too? It does to some degree. First of all, uh, Summer League alone didn't help Desmond Bain. It, it, mm-hmm. Summer League is great reference points to work on in the offseason. Yeah. Um, I actually just listened to an interview with Desmond Bain, and mm-hmm. uh, he he spoke more about um, getting his three-point shot off quicker and better and better way off the dribble or whatever. Um, there's some through lines with this team, whether job plays or not. They are an outstanding defensive team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe they lead the league in blocks and steals. <laughs> That's pretty good. You don't see that yeah. a lot. So they're um, they're active. I will, I will break this to you. I've nicknamed them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not the grit and grind anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm writing it. Uh, I think it's the name of my article. I'm calling them Team Dynamite because oh. they blow they blow everything up. They they lead the league in steals and blocks. They're crushing people on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. John Rand isn't a part of that on the offensive rebound. He doesn't need it help. Um, and, uh, remember when he doesn't play, they get more shots from their better shooters. And mm-hmm. he's, he's the worst shooter of the, of the five main shooters. He's the worst. So I think it's a situation where it's incredibly complimentary. And again, my article will go into great details. You'll see. Um, I think the Hawks would be smart to kind of learn from what Memphis is doing. Yeah. There's some things they can reproduce. I believe similar to Memphis. I, I also think that. Every every team has a core DNA in their offense or defense, and you don't want to get too far away from it when your best player isn't playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is what the reality is, which is most teams don't do nearly as well when their best player is gone. Yeah, And the fact that this team is doing so well should tell us something. And I don't know that I'll write this. I haven't decided yet in terms of looking forward because I still have time to do some playoff stuff and I'll do Zach Lowe's podcast a couple of weeks and break down uh, that aspect of it. Uh, the, the eight by we do an eight by eight podcast when mm-hmm. we do all playoff series. Um, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Don't, you don't have to tell me coach. I uh, that's, that's a appointment listening for me. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I think that uh, listen, it goes without saying that um, the Grizzlies have to, rely on their depth now because jaws out and people mm-hmm. are saying you don't need depth in the postseason. I don't agree with that. I think maybe you don't, you can play your rotation more minutes, but I mean, when's the last time we saw a team go through the entire postseason unscathed? Yeah. I can't remember. And I've been doing this since 07 with, with ESPN and now true hoop. Um, the Memphis is built like no one else in the league to withstand an injury to include to their best player. That's pretty strong stuff. Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think this group can get better and that they can actually be a title team? Do you think it comes down to what Jaron Jackson? This year or just the next few years? The next few years. Oh, yeah. I think they're terrible right now compared to what they can be. Okay. Uh, Yeah, their offensive execution is bad, in my opinion. Mm. And yet they're fourth. I think in offensive efficiency in 2022. They have so many possessions where they don't. uh, We we call, you know, second side, third side is in Mm -hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. You, they don't even get to second side. Yeah. Like they're still too focused on one side. I mean, they're just, you know, Jaron Jackson, year three, Morant's year three, Baines, year two, Brooks, I think, is year three. Uh, is that right? I think, I think so. he's maybe four, four or five now. Maybe, he's maybe, been in the league a little bit. Yeah. He's sneaky older. Yeah. Yeah. He might be. Um, they're, they're still, uh, they can get so much better. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw an article today kind of wondering what stars they'll bring in. I don't, I don't know if they need any. 
They need mm -hmm. a replacement for Adams. I have argued there's a kid in the draft name, there's a young man in the draft name, Kofi Coburn from Illinois. Yeah, big who dude. Should be like Steven Adams. Uh, he's being he's being treated as if he's a dinosaur because he's a low post scorer, but mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. He's the biggest man in the room every time he walks in, like Steven Adams. I'm not saying he's ready to play that role. I don't know anything about him. But uh, I think they need to go get a guy to be the next Steven Adams who sets screens, goes after every offensive rebound, super fit, amazing teammate. These are all things that Steven Adams brings to the table. Players I've coached who have teamed with him all rave about him. Really? Rave about mm -hmm. him. Yes. As good as it gets as a teammate. So, uh, in fact, I heard J.J. Reddick say the other day, amazing teammate. Mm -hmm. Desmond Bain, amazing teammate. This is what they say about him. They need a final replacement for that. But no, I think the Bain, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., you may know this if you follow troops out closely. I had him as a top prospect in the draft above Luca. Yeah. And I loved Luca, mm -hmm. but I thought this guy was uh, Duncan, Tumba Duncan 2.0, meaning dominant defensive player, amazing person, uh, uh, and then a three point shot. Wow. Which is obviously Duncan didn't do. Well, mm -hmm. may, seems like an amazing young man. Definitely learning to be an amazing defensive player. And remember, he's younger than when Duncan was when Duncan was a rookie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's still developing. Can't shoot the three yet. Did mm -hmm. better his first year than he's done since, I think. But that's coming, I think. And so now it's pretty scary. And you can play a non-shot blocking five, more of a space eating five next to him, which is why I love Evan Mobley so much. Mm -hmm. Same thing. It allows you not to have to find the rim-protecting five when you have a rim-protecting four. And now you can have a little more flexibility in that five and what he can do. So I, I'm, I think he has a chance to be an MVP-level player. Morant already is. What else do you need for a contender besides two MVP-level players? Right. They shouldn't. To me, they shouldn't mess around with Tobias Harris, whoever <laughs> you know, this one guy thought is. Uh, just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, it's funny because this was something I hadn't noticed, but I wonder if you noticed this with Steven Adams, the way he sets picks for jaw, the way he shields. Have you noticed this? Like, uh, well, Michael was talking about this. So like basically with Desmond Bain, he loves being in the corner when the pick and rolls, like that's one of those things where he's such a good three point shooter that teams are terrified of leaving him up yeah. in the corner. So the action when jaw and Adams are running pick and rolls, like teams are looking at the corner, they're afraid. And then off the pick and roll, they, they, they go, they, they depart the pick and roll they go to bane they crash on bane they're like we're not doing this we're not leaving him open for a three because we'd rather give up a contested two than a three however when they do that adams just has this way of like shielding jaws defender in a way that like kind of envelops them and jaw just has a a straight shot to the rim and i hadn't noticed this but the way that he described it was that adams and they've talked about it is adams is just a unique moving screen setter basically where he's just illegal, he illegal screen setter yes so, he's just a really good uh, legal screen setter essentially what you're really describing is mm -hmm. what we call a highway screen yes so he's screening his man mm -hmm. really not he's screening jaws man sometimes yes but he's screening his own man from helping mm -hmm. we call that a highway screen because you're opening up the highway yes yes Stephen adams is an unbelievable highway screener <laughs> i think coburn would be too you know mm -hmm. These gigantic men, they're hard to get around. I coached one myself in high school years ago. He was only six foot six, but 300 pounds, super athletic, super agile, amazing score. He, he started for the Gators for four years, for three years mm. and uh, led them in the final four one year um, in the 90s. Uh, yes, Adams is an incredible screen setter and he's a good passer. 
Yeah. And he can make little seven foot little, you know, jump, jump books in the lane. He's, uh, it's an interesting trade because Valanciunas is good, probably better. And people loved him. People were worried about Memphis making that kind of deal because I think Ja and Jonas had a really good rapport and they liked each other. Yeah. yeah. He's good. But Adams is, he does some, he does some little dribble handoff games with Bain mm. and, um, just he gets it. You know, really knows how to play. He's the vet, he's the veteran compared to these other guys. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that tr- that trickles down in the playoffs after they got bounced in five games last year, which was great. But now there's some pressure on them. Like they're they're going to be favored no matter what in the first series in terms of record, and it's harder to play when the pressure's on compared to when you're playing the number one team in the world and you're the eight seed and you and you won game one and then got beaten four. Yeah, straight. Although they played well, they were competitive. We'll see how they handle that. Are you speaking of that? Are you concerned at all about them in a seven game series against uh, Minnesota? Because that is a possibility. And Minnesota is sneakily like they're near the top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. Like Chris yeah. Finch has done a really good job. Um, and that team, like you throw Pat Bebb on jaw for a seven game series. You see how Adams deals with Carl Anthony Towns for a seven game series. You see what Jaron Jackson does with Vanderbilt for a seven game series. Like, it's sneaky, not a great matchup to me for Memphis. Like that's a that's going to be, I feel like a NBA Twitter favorite series in the first round. Like we're just all going to be uh, just so all in on what happens there. But I would be a little concerned if I was a Grizzlies fan. Would you? Oh yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, a um, if the Pelicans had um, Zion, which I don't think mm-hmm. I think they're resting the rest of the season, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, he's coming back. He seems it seems like. So that would be a nice team to play. But other than that, I mean, if it's the, uh, you know, probably won't be the Lakers. The Clippers, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be excited about playing them. Paul George being back, yeah. So this is why the playoffs going to be so good mm-hmm. on both sides. It's going to be, you know, the Clippers are not your typical, you know, 7-8 seed when you consider most of the season have Paul George, who was incredible last night. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some upsets. It's going to be hard for people like me to try to predict which ones it'll, which ones it'll be. What uh, what team have you been thinking about the most? You mentioned you watched the Clippers last night. Is there a team in particular that you've been thinking a lot about in the last couple of days? No, other than um, and not for reasons probably people think, but I've I've been watching the Raptors a good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, besides Memphis, besides Miami, um, uh, I just am such a fan of Scotty Barnes and and Mobley, but Mobley's out, mm-hmm. uh, and just how how they're going to fare going forward this year, not. The future looks really good for them, but can they pull an upset in round one? You know, Siakam is rounding into an all league level player. He's, he's shooting a a 50% from the field, 40% from three in, in the new year, Mm -hmm. averaging 23 points a game plus five, uh, a rating and net rating, not net rating, but, uh, just overall plus minus. Right. Um, he's kind of becoming that guy again. He is that guy again. And, Van Vliet is so good and so steady and so tough. Their defense is right there with Boston and Memphis in the second half of the season. And then Scotty is a hell of an X factor. He's, I, I, again, I had him ranked number two with Mobley in a coin flip. Uh, he He's just a, he's my favorite player to watch in the league probably right now because he just does so many things to help you win. And his defense that they're letting him do would just basically play center field and just go muck things up. Am I allowed to cuss on the broadcast? Yeah, you can guys. Yeah. So he uh, he just tries to fuck things up. <laughs> he does. That's mm-hmm. exactly how they should play him. Mm-hmm. Exactly how they should play him. And uh, Nick Nurse is a really good 
game manager and adjustment guy. Mm. And so I don't know who they'll play in the first round. Maybe Miami, maybe Milwaukee. Could be Boston with what's going on with yeah. Robert Williams. Um, they're they're going to and because of no crowd potentially the vaccine issue. We don't really know who from Boston or Philly has a, has the vaccine. Are they going to be able to play in Toronto? Yeah, there's a lot of question marks there. So uh, yeah, the Raptors intrigue me. Thing though, Scotty, like it's just kind of wild that he is now just <laughs> essentially the favorite for rookie of the year. Like that's just it's kind of wild that he came out at like he seemed like a like uh just the kind of guy that you could see a couple years from now being this kind of player but he is this kind of player in year one and the raptors are just such a different team for a multitude of reasons uh, much of which that you just outlined but like nurse plays all these guys a bunch of minutes like he is doing a six-man rotation some nights that dude he is running these guys you look at the minutes and it just it hasn't wavered they're playing great basketball right now and this is a long season the first long season for these guys in two years and the raptors are just humming and i i am so curious to see what this looks like long term like what does scotty barnes look like in the future do you do you see in terms of his offensive upside, is he ever going to be a high usage guy? Is he ever going to be a super efficient guy you could do, run a lot of your offense through? Is that still something that he can be or no? Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. He, he, Leonard Hamilton told me when we visited with my son that he was Magic Johnson, Scotty Pippen, which is okay. so ridiculous. I'd never seen him before. Um, yeah, he was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked the other day at some data uh, with second spectrum and he's their best pick and roll uh, player uh, in terms of points per possession on the team. Huh. Right? He doesn't do a lot of it. And that may be why, because teams haven't yet solved what's best to do. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a learning curve there for teams, but yeah, he's, he's really good as a pick and roll player already. And doesn't even know what he's doing compared <laughs> to what he's going to know. Um, I think that he just like magic, the game has evolved. He won't be that kind of player. Uh, because the game is so different and there's so many more skilled guys that he, and, and it's stupid for him not to bully guys in the post mm-hmm. because everyone's switching or he, he's so fast. I don't know if you see him, mm-hmm. like he, he might even, they'll get a rebound. He might take a step or two at half speed and then boom, like he shot out a cannon. Mm-hmm. Four strides later, he's laying the ball up. Um, he's, he's just got a lot of ways to impact the game on both ends with and without the ball. And it's just exceedingly rare in this league. Yeah, he, he really can do a lot. And I think that, uh, they'll, you know, they have Fred, they have Pascal. OG is, you know, back now. Um, is he still somebody you're high on? I like him. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that if they were going to trade someone, it probably is, is him. I don't know that I would. Um, he gives them the kind of the versatility they want. They just want to, they, you know, Boucher is playing better, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really important. Um, and uh, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in coaches. Obviously, I'm a coach. Mm. I think if they can keep their guy, which you never know, you know they're not as big market compared to the you know, the LA teams, the the Knicks. Mm. Someone's going to try to get Nick Nurse. I would think. I would mm. think. I don't know what his contract looks like. I don't know about any of that stuff. I just know I've been around a little bit. When you're that good, uh, the big teams that have a lot of money come calling. Well, they kept Masai. They kept Masai. He did. Yeah. So maybe they so, can keep Nick Nurse too. Well, that, that's gonna be that's gonna be Nick's decision too. Yeah. Masai being not American, mm-hmm. uh, it's easy. 
easier than potentially a guy that actually is American. Um, not there's nothing wrong with Toronto or Canada, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't leave if I was him. They're loaded. Kawhi didn't look what happened. You know, he's not he's not had that same run. Although next year they could be really good again. The Clippers. That's another team I do like. I like Ty Lue is really growing on me. I think he's an excellent coach. Um, the Clippers are weird, man. Like you just look at the Reggie Jackson usage rates and you watch how much of their offense they live and die on a random Tuesday night with Reggie Jackson. You're like, I don't understand how this is not one of the worst teams in basketball. Like it makes no sense. They were a pain in the ass uh, when the Hawks played them a few weeks ago. And it's just Tyler, like you said, like they're just, they don't stop. Like the Clippers do not stop. They try so hard. Terrence Mann works his butt off on defense. Like he, he canard does stuff when he needs like it's it's a very good let next man up strategy and it's like they all bought they've all bought in on i think so too i think Mm -hmm. they i think you're exactly right and um that's a credit to the culture of the team but it's also and the coach but it's also a credit to the players Mm -hmm. and management finding like terrence Mann. to me it's a joke that he wasn't a top 20 pick it's just Mm -hmm. i don't know what he's i don't know what the teams are doing he he checks so many boxes mom's like mom's a big time coach Mm -hmm. really knows the game huge winner in college um, Lou Kennard, same thing. I think, I think he's a great fit for, uh, and he's different than, than Terrence, obviously. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of their center. I like mm-hmm. Zubac a lot. Uh, Reggie, they've kind of, uh, rehabilitated him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they're gonna have to wait till next year with Kawhi, but they're going to be a favorite, I think next year. Absolutely. Um, you wrote this really great piece on LeBron um, on True Hoop on the 25th. So the folks should go check out if they have not already done so on TrueHoop.com. What inspired you to write that piece? I mean, I just heard a lot of media people acting like, yeah, they still got a chance. <laughs> and it's the Lakers and it's LeBron. And mm-hmm. I, I understand it. I don't remember who it was. And I'm friendly with both of these media guys. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with them. Uh, it might have been my buddy Chris Broussard, but it was someone saying, I've been burned before with LeBron. And he's right. Like when he was in Cleveland, there were some years where it, they were done. Mm-hmm. And then they weren't done. Obviously, they went to the finals. But that, this ain't that LeBron. Yeah. and this But it's also, we've seen it. Like his first year in Los Angeles. Like we've actually seen it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Of course. So I just thought, you know what? I, I, I will tell you this. I don't typically go into an article with the idea that I, I'm just going to write this. Mm. It's more of, I'm interested in learning more. Let me see what the data and the video shows me. And after studying it, I came to the conclusion that the Lakers are going to suck the rest of the season. (laughs) They're not a threat. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. They were eighth. I think they were eighth when I wrote the article. They're 11th now. No surprise to me. Yeah, they can get back to eight. They get, I mean, they're so tight. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't care. I could. I don't care if AD comes back. I don't think they want to get the eight seed. I think they want to shut this thing down. Well, they might, and it's too bad. That means LeBron, yeah. you know, has had one really great run in four years there. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, it's his choice. He made the choice to go, which is fine. They chose to bring a bunch of old dudes, and then they've had some bad luck for sure. Uh, I did like none a lot. I thought he would really help them. He, I don't think he's played all year. Yeah. Um, that's too bad because I think he would have been just the athletic, tough energy guy would have been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Especially Gordon with Tucker, no Caruso. He stalled a little bit. It's hard to play mm-hmm. with LeBron. It's not easy. Yeah. It's a myth to think that you're automatically a better. He he doesn't automatically make everyone better. It's just that's just wrong. He just doesn't. 
it's also just like a shame like that i look at it uh, with another los angeles person where it's like the mike trout thing where mike trout will never play in a meaningful baseball game and he's been the best player in baseball for 10 years like one of the biggest problems with major league baseball is their best players aren't playing in the playoffs like that's not good for marketability um in the fall but that's like one of those things where he committed to this bad situation because he could have gotten out not too long ago where's he playing at the los angeles angels Oh, he's on the Angels. Okay. Yeah. I, see, I this, know is, this is a great case study right here. You were like, I don't know, even know where the best player. Yeah. See, but no. you're like most people. Most people have no idea where Mike Trout plays baseball. And he could have left, but he took the money. Like he, hey, they offered him just an unbelievable amount of money to extend, like to sign his extension. He's a Los Angeles Angel for the foreseeable future, probably the remainder of his prime. The man has played in exactly zero important no. baseball games. And no. that will probably be the case. But it's like one of those things where you're like, part of being a sports fan is you just you want to see the best in the playoffs yeah. like you want to see the best of the best that's the whole point of the playoffs is to see the greats the greats face off and we burned a great lebron year like lebron does he still lead the league in scoring like we're just burning a yeah, lebron right league there. he's inc- he's the best 37 year old of all time he's the yeah. best he's the best player at his age every age mm. of his career that's that's insane never going to be seen again probably and we're just burning it. Like, that's what bums me out. Like, we yeah. just burned a year. And we don't know how many more. Like, we want to believe that now all these players, the all-time greats are going to be like Tom Brady and just play till they're 50. But it's like, we, we don't know. We have no idea when it ends for LeBron. And it could end. It could just, Father Time could hit him this summer. Who knows? Like, I have, I don't know. You don't know. But it just, it sucks that that's the situation. But that's where the Lakers are. Um, Are you worried? at all about the heat of late like are you worried about where they what's going on with them um they've gotten some interesting they're they're a fun team to box score dive on because you're like oh who got a dmpc tonight was that who was that victor oladipo this night and then gabe vinson that night oh is max dress in the starting lineup this week is duncan robinson playing 10 minutes spo i i love because this he does not care like the rotation is the rotation and he is going to put who he wants to put out there and for the the amount of time he wants them out there we obviously everyone talked about the Butler and Spo and Udonis Haslam stuff. That doesn't really interest me as much. It's more like Butler isn't playing what he needs to play at to win the East. Like if you're going to be the number one seed in the East and you want to win an NBA title this year and you want to get back to what it was two years ago in the bubble, I don't know. Are you are you concerned based on what you've seen from the Heat that they could actually run the gauntlet and make it out of make it out of the East based on what you've seen from this group? Well, concern would suggest that I care. <laughs> But I know what you mean, because I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Udonis very much. I don't, and mm-hmm. I like Spo. I don't care about whether they win or lose. I'd, I'd be concerned if I was a Heat fan. Right. Yeah. I, I care that way because my brother lives down there. My nephew and niece love the Heat. Um, and uh, I, I, I think you said it. Jimmy is just, I don't know if he's injured a little bit. I've, I've heard he is. Um, he doesn't quite have what he had consistently. And they need him for that. Uh, Kyle Kyle might be loafing a little bit to the postseason. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Thirty six years old. Um, Duncan Robinson's shooting good now. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hero is had you know obviously probably six man of the year I would think. Uh, Bam could do more. Uh, he's got the talent for more. Um, it, they're one of the more interesting teams where if they lost first round, I would say you know what I get it. Oh, and wow. if they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I would say, yeah, I see that. They're really – we don't know yet. We, we haven't seen what's going to emerge from the chrysalis yet with them. Are they going to be this beautiful team uh, that went through this war all year and come out, came out better, or are they just going to kind of get 
rotten from the inside a little bit and get really stagnant offensively. And that sometimes affects your defensive intensity when you can't score and you're frustrated. So yeah, I, I don't know that they'll, um, they're, they're really one of the more enigmatic teams going into these last 10 days of the season. How does, I can't believe we're already done with the season. 10 days left. 10 15, uh, yeah. That's wild. Um, in terms of the Boston Celtics who have just obviously been on fire the last few months, like Jason Tatum, just uh, otherworldly. You and Zach talked about Tatum's rise. I think you had him on one of your most improved uh, players list. And uh, Zach was just like, I hadn't even considered it just because he's been he's been here before, but now it's just like another level and he's back and it's just up and down, up and down. But now he's there, especially with the defense and the shooting and just the playmate. Like he's Jason Tatum is just an absolute joy to watch. And he is a full blown super superstar in this league now, but they had this great group, and this is why you you make those uh, under the radar trades like the Daniel Tice because you just never know with injuries. You never like you talked about at the top of the show. Depth matters, and this team needs depth, and they got some in the form of Tice. But how concerned are you about time? Lo- I shouldn't say concerned. You're not a Boston Celtics fan. How curious are you about how the Celtics are going to play without Robert Williams, based on what you've seen from him? um this year does it affect them a lot how will how will this play style change without robert williams and even if you do get him back with the tournament it won't be the same i imagine the rest of the way this season but what uh what will be different from the boston celtics without williams i mean i yeah he's a very very i i have marcus smart as my defensive player of the year but mm-hmm. uh uh, Mar- uh uh time lord robert williams is so athletic in the back line he He's such a, a, a threat to block your shot. You know he's coming, and you don't see him. Uh, you're focused on beating the guy you're going up against, and all of a sudden he comes in as a help blocker. Mm. Just that athletic presence is such a big deal. Um, you've got Smart at the point of attack, Williams in the back. That's exactly how you want to build an elite defense. The Bucks had it with Drew and Giannis mm. uh, for stretches when he plays the five. It's super effective. So – uh, they, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea how it'll be if he recovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Tice is fine. It was smart to get a veteran. You don't want to depend on a young guy if you think you can contend, which clearly they can. You've yeah. been the team for a while now. Um, or at least the best in the East, if not the best overall with rating and all, net rating and everything. I, I don't think they're a threat to win it without Robert Williams playing really well. Oh, wow. Yeah. I Maybe they'll win the first round. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a sure thing. The East is loaded. Mm-hmm. So, And I don't know what they'll be. It could be a 4-5. And uh, they could be three six, and I don't know if they'll be Toronto without Robert Williams. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Th- I mean, they've got guys that can guard. Toronto does, mm. and um, can't bully Marcus Smart for sure. Uh, can't bully any of their starters, but you can bully Peyton Pritchard. And now you, you know if you're not going to play him, um, can't bully Grant Williams, which is good. It'll be a great series if they played a team like the Raptors. Ball for life, Grant Williams, the Mister Do It All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's been good. He's been helpful. They're, Grant they're, Williams is a player. Yeah, he's they've got some depth there. But, um, I mean, like who's who's doing re- great when you're missing your lead shot blocker and, you know, such an important player on both ends with his athleticism on offense as a – remember, you stretch the floor two ways. You stretch it with your shooting, but you stretch it with your dunks mm-hmm. because you're bringing, you're bringing the defense in. Mm-hmm. So you're stretching it both in and out with shooters and a dunker like Robert Williams. Well – Tice just isn't the same. So mm-hmm. I think it matters. Yeah. 
Um, you saw that with the the Pacers Hawks the, this week. I don't know if you watched any of that, but it was no. it was like watching an NBA team versus the G League. It was it was not it was not terrible. Yeah, like like they had eight guys who were able to play, and Batazzi is he's Batazzi and he's yeah. fine. But like Clint Capella was just eating them alive. Like it yeah. just wasn't fair what Clint Capella was doing. And he's had a he's had a very up. I know you're a big Capella guy. I have. I like him. I've had mixed feelings on him this year, man. Like it's it's been rough. The Atlanta Hawks season. I'm just I'm ready for it to end. I need this to be over. I can't. The the defense. Such is not a good. disappointment. Such a disappointment. It's. Yeah. What do you think it is? Like from your perspective, what do you think it is? Well, Trey Young before the year. Tell me if I'm wrong. But didn't he mm-hmm. say that he's not excited about playing? Yes. Well, I mean, they were talking about it like they just went through. They they they. They had the Eastern Conference Finals around. They were almost in the NBA Finals. And they're like, yeah. The, basically, the context was like, we're n- not jazzed up about doing this all over again and playing right. 82 games. Like, it, <laughs> I understand what he's saying where it's like. I, I don't. Re- okay. You I don't. mean, I, I, I know why he's saying it. I mm-hmm. just don't understand what he's thinking about. Yeah. You didn't win the championship. You, yeah. you didn't even get to the finals. Mm-hmm. You weren't all that competitive. You, I mean, I think they lost in six. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, you ever watch Kevin Durant play? <laughs> you watch Steph Curry play? They bring that joy all the time. Pretty, yeah. Pretty much. That's the game. And uh, so there's probably a lot of things going on, but that is not a small thing. Yeah. You've got to lace them up, ready to kill, mm-hmm. uh, or, or you're going to get killed. Like, it's that kind of league. Yeah, the defense just hasn't been there. And I think that speaks to what you're saying, where it's just they haven't they haven't given it their all on that side of the floor. You watch it and they're just, yeah. they're just slow. Like that's the thing about them. When you watch them, they're slow to rotate. They're slow to uh, attack on side. Like it's just, it's very frustrating. This whole season's just been a mess and I'm excited for it to be over because I can't, <laughs> I can't do any more coach. I can't, I can't watch another wide open corner three because the Hawks didn't rotate or just didn't feel like uh, going out to the corner. Um, which is frustrating because their offense is top notch. Like bogey yeah, is just so much fun. Like bogey, when you attack a closeout on bo- uh, bogey, like, you're going to die. Like bogey is so clean and so quick. Like his footwork. I, I very much enjoy because he will hit, like he will wait for a big to come out on him. He'll stop and the big will come up and then he's just off and then back. And he's just, it's so quick and it's just great. He put watching bogey, put uh bigs who we switch on to him. It's, it's great. Like uh, I love Bogdanovich and I hope he's a hawk for a while, but um, the jazz, another team not really uh <laughs> playing with joy at the moment coach i had the bucks jazz in the nba finals before the season and i i was like okay the jazz have figured out regular season basketball friend of the pod jonathan charks had this really great piece last year in the ringer where it was like they've just uh, pick and roll basketball they have they've mastered it like in the regular season they have figured it out gobert is the perfect pick and roll big defender and then you have this pick and roll offense that just works there are three shooters with mitchell and gobert and you're just like okay they're gonna keep killing teams in the other season they're gonna gobble up wins but we'll see what happens in the postseason this year it just it doesn't happen and it's looking bad injuries have been a part of it conley missing time mitchell missing time gobert missing time like injuries have have hurt them a little in- bit ingles is ingles got hurt then got traded yeah and that was it and they never really like rudy gay i thought was a great signing for them i thought he would help them a lot and I thought, okay, this is this is the year. This is the year they break through. And then you have the comments from Donovan Mitchell this week about just frustrated uh, about being here still. And I don't know. What do you see when you watch the Jazz? Do you think there's just they're they're still missing the piece? Because I just think them not taking a stab on a bigger like a big time way, like a Jeremy Grant type, like somebody to supplement. 
this group and just cashing in on the wing depth for one high upside defensive wing to pair with Gobert and Mitchell. I just, I never understood that, but I don't know what, what do you make of the jazz right now? Well, first of all, I wasn't high on the Rudy Gay acquisition. Okay. That was a big mistake. Um, Why? Last year, one of their best lineups in the regular season was uh, Clarkson, mm-hmm. Conley, uh, Niang, yeah. Gobert, and Ingles. And they destroyed teams. And in the postseason, Quinn Snyder just barely played that group. And I don't hmm. know why, especially given some of the injuries they were dealing with. Obviously, Mike being out was part of it. And I just – I don't think he's a great postseason coach. He panics, and I understand short in the rotation only because your rotation isn't very good. But mm-hmm. they had the best, and they just – they just, I thought, blew it. Um, and then this year, I mean, Niang and Derek Favors – Derek Favors was very important because he allowed Rudy – he would come in with the first group and not screw it up, mm-hmm. allow Rudy to anchor that second group, and they would crush people. Mm-hmm. And um, you can look it up. Their plus-minus was unbelievable. and. Uh, they got rid of Favors. They got rid of Niang, uh, who was very close with Rudy and and uh, and players Joe. love him. Like Niang is like a locker room great, like great guy, great, great glue guy, mm-hmm. and he's an underrated defender. Uh, I don't think this year he's defending the way he did last year. Last year he really defended. If you look, do you ever go to dunks and threes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look at look at Niang last year on defense. Mm-hmm. He he was secretly really really good, mm-hmm. and. Um, I never management thought that they should get more athletic or whatever. I thought they had the best team in the world and shouldn't change a thing. I was wrong. They did. And look what happened. I don't think those guys like each other. I think that you're going to see massive changes. Yeah. Oh. Different people running the team. I think you have a deep, I think Quinn's gone as a coach. Oh, wow. Um, he'll, he'll First? Be, I don't know. He'll be hired in two seconds, wherever yeah. he goes. That won't be a problem. He, he's not going to, he's not going to be looking for a paycheck anytime soon. And um, yeah, I think they might fire the GM and, because now Angel's taking over. Yeah. So Angel will take over. Dwayne Wade will take over. We'll see. But it's too bad because they they had a little a little speck of the being the best team in the world and and they may never get it back in my lifetime. Oh man. I mean, oh. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to be the best team in the world. And they were for a year. And because of a bad postseason with injuries or whatever, they got they decided, okay, we'll do something different because we're the smartest guys in the world. And yeah, yeah. maybe not. And now you're in some trouble. Well, we're up on this. Um, the best NBA piece you read this week, Coach. What, uh, what was your favorite piece that you read? It's impossible to say. I would tell you my most, the most enjoyable thing I did this week was mm-hmm. watch JJ Reddick's podcast with uh, Desmond Bain. And then I forget mm-hmm. the other one I saw. It's from back in like February. But mm-hmm. uh, JJ's pod is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never done it. I would love to do it. He's terrific. I was a big fan when he was in college and in the pros. Um, and uh, I think that he, he's got, a, he, you know, he, he's got a good enough of a mind to get the players to open up. So, you know, Desmond Bain, most of these guys are bright guys, especially when it comes to basketball. They mm-hmm. really understand the game. And hearing Desmond talk, he's just a young player. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that very much. But I mean, I, I read everything Hollinger writes. I, Kevin Pelton had an article about uh, what the Celtics do without um, Robert Williams. I, I love Kevin. Uh, I just have so many friends who who are writing stuff. Uh, I, you know, I I take in a lot of articles every week. Yeah, same here. There's just a lot, and you're just like, oh man, like I, I, well for me, I'm just like, okay, I I just 
you guys like you and uh low and just so many other people that like are going to forget more basketball than i would ever hope to know like it, it's it's very humbling that's a good thing for me is reading is humbling because you're like oh i think i have a good feel the boston celtics right now no i don't i just read this really good piece i have no idea what i'm talking about i should not have this strong of a take um coach thorpe how do we check out your work truehoop.com go subscribe if you've not already done so got the lakers piece out there you got grizzlies coming on friday you got bring it in youtube podcast uh with henry and drod and i don't know all kinds of great stuff i'm, I'm glad true hoops back because when it disappeared like that's how i first um uh learned about you was you your show on espn.com back yeah. way back in the day with henry and it being back is is great it's one of my how favorite. old are you then I was an undergrad, so I'm 30 now. I mean, I was probably like you, you guys were part of the reason I would procrastinate on other assignments. So <laughs> it was, yeah, you're responsible for my lack of a 4.0 in undergrad. Um, but yeah, I guess I was probably 20, 21. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was prime True Hoop Network days, um, which yeah. we're actually, it's a lot. I don't know if you're ever on TikTok. I, I've never really been. I'm not, no. But I have enough. Gonna, I can't keep adding stuff. I cannot keep adding more social yeah, media stuff. We're going to start something they just told mm-hmm. me um, to try to reach a, a younger audience too. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, just me breaking down stuff. Uh, oh, you'd be great at that. Yeah, just breaking down stuff. And I don't know how I haven't talked to the producer about it yet, but um, yeah. I don't know that I'll ever see it because I don't think I'll ever watch TikTok. But my kids might. I know my yeah. kids both have it. They don't get on it very much, but um, they're just yeah, scrolling one more. day and they're like, is that, is that dad? Is that yeah, dad? I'll tell them. I love, uh, I like that you pay attention when you're 20. I, I, I coach people your age all the time back when you were mm. 20. Yeah. And so I like knowing that they're paying attention because I don't want it just to just be an old man's sport like baseball. I love, mm. I love baseball too. Um, I just don't have time to watch it very much, but I watch the playoffs if I can. So I don't mm. know who Mike Trout was to your point. He never yeah. made it. <laughs> I'm telling you, like baseball, like we, we overthink some of the stuff where I'm like, hey, how about just getting the best players on uh, teams that go to the playoffs? Right. When the good. ratings difference with regular season baseball versus playoffs, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. You got to have them. Baseball is fantastic. Yep. Absolutely. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Um, Coach Thorpe, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. You stay safe out there and I'll watch you on True Hoop later this week. Thank you, Chase. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who is not in a BBC crime show. She's not starring on the set of Luther or Sherlock or something. No, she's in a renovating area in Houston, Texas. You've seen her uh, covering the Houston Texans. It's DP Sadu. DP, how are you doing? I'm great. And actually, it's not a crime scene. It's a very lovely mm-hmm. glass skyscraper in downtown Houston. But usually we're out of the stadium, but it's undergoing some really cool renovations. So... The entire office is working out of here. Other than the coaches, they still have their offices at NRG Stadium. And then we go back and forth because mm-hmm. our TV studio and our radio studio are there. But then my office and my desk is here at uh, BHP located in uh, the gallery area of Houston. But thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, we have a lot of Texan stuff to talk about because the Houston Texans, I think, are in an interesting spot now. I mean, just how excited are you to just like kind of turn the page on the Deshaun Watson era and just focus on the future. Like you got a bunch of picks. Nick Casario finally has the landscape to kind of build the team he wants to build and Levy Smith's in the building. And it's just a lot of change over the last couple of years, but it's, is it an exciting time? How, how pumped up are you and Houston Texans fans to just 
at least be able to move forward now uh, with the clarity uh, involved. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. It's just moving forward because the mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson situation was just sort of hanging all of over all of our collective heads for you know just a little over a year, and and nobody knew how it was going to play out when he mm -hmm. asked for a trade last year. When all the you know allegations came out with the lawsuits, it, it was it was a really tough situation to navigate through. I think especially for Nick Casario, who had just gotten hired. Uh, I think. He's done a really fantastic job considering the situation was sort of there when he arrived in Houston. And then, you know, we just saw it play out over the course of the year throughout training camp, throughout the season. You know, I think for us locally, it wasn't really a story because Deshaun was inactive on game days. He wasn't playing. And we just sort of had moved forward with the, the guys on the mm. on the roster that were playing. The only time it really became an issue was when any national media were in town and in fact, I was at the NFL Combine in February before all the Deshaun Watson stuff had settled. And I was doing um, you know, a segment where I interview a lot of national reporters, just asking them about the Texans and the draft and and Lovey Smith and whatnot. And, and you know, afterwards they all they all asked me about Deshaun Watson. Was that the <laughs> elephant in the room? And isn't that so, you know, how how can you not talk about it? And I thought, well, actually we've just sort of been existing with it for the last year. Mm -hmm. And until anything really changed legally or on the trade front we were just sort of at a standstill for over a year. So I think the best part of that situation is that we can move forward. We now know what the picks are that we have yeah. because last year we, we had that situation. Plus we didn't have a lot of draft capital. And then, and, and now that's, it, it feels like it's a, a sort of a fresh start for Lovey Smith, for Nick Casario. And, and I think even for the fan base, I think the fan base is sort of ready to move on with yeah. the, the entire situation and, and just sort of see what the next phase of this Texans team is going to look like. Well, you're in the same spot as I am with the Atlanta Falcons, as you can see you're right there. Um, also going through a very, uh, very tough rebuild with Matt Ryan moving on um, yeah. this offseason. In and our just... division of all places, which I think is kind of a scary spot for him, if I'm going to be honest. What makes it scary? I mean, I feel like with the Colts, they have such mm. a, a such a strong roster and mm. quarterback play has been the, the big question mark for them over the past few years. In fact, I think ever since Frank Reich's been there, he's had a different starting quarterback for maybe, I want to say the last five years. So, yeah. you know, obviously we saw how everything played out with Carson Wentz and the finale against Jacksonville. <laughs> and I mean, my family is from Indianapolis. So it's funny because I work for the Texans, but then I'm seeing the reaction from my family and friends in Indianapolis who are just having this catastrophic meltdown over the Colts not making the playoffs. And so I think they needed to address their quarterback situation. They mm -hmm. weren't going to do it in the draft. Um, they don't have a high pick and there's not really a lot of prospects that you can, you can say will be ready to go. But I think to sign a guy like Matt Ryan, who's a veteran who, who does protect the ball. Well, I mean, that's mm -hmm. the one knock that they had against Carson Wentz was just, and even Phillip rivers, just turning the ball mm -hmm. over. I, I think that Matt Ryan, you know, I saw him play in the Super Bowl. Uh, here in at NRG Stadium, and I know that was a few years ago. Oh, we don't have to do that. No, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do this. We've, I've seen him play over the years. I, I think he still mm -hmm. has a few years left in him until they figure out their situation. But uh, but he's still very formidable, and and I think he's in a Colts team that really supports him. Yeah, I just the AFC is just so stacked. Like the AFC West is just this powerhouse division where the worst team in the AFC West probably wins three other divisions in football, and <laughs> I just. I don't know. Like, I'm happy for Matt. I'm glad that they did right by him. I think they could have gotten more if they had dealt him somewhere else. Uh, but they did right by him in that regard. Um, he went through hell for a week. And I and me and every one of my like friends in our text thread worried about what was happening. 
with the Watson stuff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like that was that was not a fun time. Like the Atlanta Sports Week with Freddie Freeman leaving, and then that at the same time was pretty pretty brutal. I, I won't lie. And uh, now that it's all settled, we're move we've been moving forward, and I'm happy for him. But I don't know. The Colts are just. I mean, they'll have the benefit of the doubt of playing in the AFC South. No shots fired at Houston, but with Jacksonville and Houston going through their long-term rebuild and Tennessee, we'll see how they bounce back after last year. But like the AFC is just so tough that like they're not favorites with Matt Ryan, but at least he's going to have a shot. Like you said, the roster's good. He'll have a shot. I'm hoping Julio joins him now that Julio has been cut by the (laughs) Titans. I would love to see that just because the Falcons might win. yeah, I'm okay with I'm okay with not seeing any more weapons in the AFC South. You're right though; the AFC West is going to be tough, and that's mm-hmm. the division that we're playing this year. So, yeah, you know, every time you see it, <laughs> every time you see somebody, they sign somebody big. You're like, oh, great! This is these are all mm-hmm. teams on our schedule. So, yeah, um, you know, I think for the Texans, as far as they're involved, it is it's it's always going to be a tough division. I think last mm-hmm. year. Uh, the Colts had their way with the Texans in both games. They were still, the Texans were trying to figure out their quarterback situation between Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills. And hopefully Davis Mills takes that next step forward this year. And the Texans have at least what they think is a quarterback solution for now. Now they may still go out and sign somebody else. They signed Kyle Allen um, in free agency. They may sign another veteran. They may draft somebody. I don't really know how it's going to play out, but I think Davis Mills did enough, especially in that final stretch of games last year to prove that, you know, he, he can also compete for a starting spot. And I think a lot of people want to see what he has to offer in year two. So you think Davis Mills, he's going to get a realistic shot because I was curious that like, cause like you said, he was, he's better than average. And I mean, people don't realize like I'm from Atlanta and like he went to GAC was a mm-hmm. local Atlanta suburb Atlanta kid. And he was the number one quarterback in his class. Like he had all the talent in the world. Um, a lot of it was just injuries and the Stanford team just wasn't very good um, while he was there, but um, could have easily been Andrew Luck 2.0 with uh, that rise and everything. And He's a good player, um, and I. It seems like you saw enough from him last year that it was like, okay, there might be there might be something. It's at least worth exploring uh, this year. So, from your perspective, you think that it, he's going to get seventeen games to kind of prove his merit and that he is someone that they actually might have accidentally stumbled into as a, a realistic long term option at quarterback. Now, let me say, I'm not saying that he's going to start all seventeen games because when mm-hmm. you ask Levy Smith about it, he says. You know, they're not naming starters right now in, what is it, hmm. March? March, yeah. April timeframe. No one's naming a starter. So let's preface everything with that. But mm-hmm. with that being said, I mean, what we saw from Davis Mills, I mean, nobody knew, really knew what to expect. You had the whole yeah. Deshaun Watson situation going on. You had Tyrod Taylor, who everyone thought that's going to be your starter, and Davis Mills would be a guy that would develop. I mean, he only had 11 starts at Stanford. He didn't really have a, a big body of work, but they thought they got him in the third round. They could take a flyer on him. You know, you've got Pep Hamilton here. Uh, as quarterbacks coach, now he's the offensive coordinator. And and Pep had had, obviously, conversations with David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, mm-hmm. and had followed Davis Mills' career from high school on. So we really thought maybe he's going to be more of a project. Maybe he'll step in if Tyrod Taylor gets hurt, which is kind of what happened. And it happened mm-hmm. a lot earlier, though, than anyone expected. Tyrod Taylor got hurt in week two at Cleveland. And then Davis Mills goes on to start the next six games. And, I mean, it was it was good there were flashes of good and there were flashes Mm -hmm. of ugly. It was a little bit of everything. I mean, he played well against the Patriots against Mac Jones. He put up some really good numbers, three touchdowns, no interceptions. But when you look at those initial starts, he had thrown six touchdowns, but also seven interceptions. So Mm -hmm. then Tyrod Taylor comes back off of IR 
plays three games, three and a half games, and then gets benched for Davis Mills. They named Davis Mills the starter for the remainder of the year. And in the final five starts of the year, Davis Mills looked different. I mean, he mm-hmm. had nine touchdowns, only two interceptions, and he had some big, some big games. The Texans won a big game against the Chargers when they had a lot of guys out with COVID. Texans mm-hmm. and the Chargers, but the Texans really had a bulk of their roster out. And Davis Mills really performed well under pressure. And I think the way that he ended the season against the Titans, who the Titans were, you know, obviously the top team in the AFC. Um, you know, he he had such a phenomenal game against uh, against the Titans where he, he threw a couple of touchdowns and, and put up over 300 yards. So the way he ended the year, I think, really merits another look at him. And I think people are excited to see because they saw that he really learned from that time where he sat behind Tyrod Taylor and he looked different. He protected the ball better. His efficiency and his completion rate in the red zone was really good. He may not have been chunking the ball down the field, but you know, he was taking what the defense was giving him. I know it's a cliche, but really that's what he was doing. And, and he was showing that he'd sort of evolved. He's very calm under pressure, you know, Mm -hmm. leading that offense and and the Texans run game really struggled a lot last year. So he's doing this all with an offensive line that's banged up a run game that just can't get going. And so a lot of it was on his shoulders. And I think even with all those circumstances, he really did show improvement from the first half of the season to the second half of the season. Now, if the Texans can sort out their run game, if they can get their offensive line in place, if Davis Mills comes back with a full off season to work with Pep Hamilton and, you know, really they can gear the offense towards his strengths. I, I mean, I think, I think the sky is the limit for Davis Mills because he had some, he put up some pretty stars, some, some pretty impressive numbers last year amongst other rookies in his class. Who have they uh, been involved with in the QB and QB market for like in terms of the draft? Because like we've seen that the Panthers have just visited with like every team or every quarterback essentially uh, who's going to be who will be there in the first round for them in the top 10. But like who have the Houston Texans uh, looked at? Who have they who have they visited? Who have they checked out? I mean, as far as specific quarterbacks, I can't mm-hmm. tell you. I can tell you that Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton have been to like a string of pro days. Yeah. Uh, last year they were at Cincinnati. They were at Ohio State. Um they were they've been at Texas AM. Uh you know, uh where else were they? Uh, they they've been I mean I'm like I, if you go to HoustonTexans.com, I hate to plug the website, but we've sort of had no, this Lovey yeah, Smith absolutely. Lovey Smith Pro Day tracker. So okay. uh you know wherever he's been and, and and you know obviously some of the top prospects as well at those schools. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're looking at quarterbacks specifically. I mean they probably are with their due diligence, but yeah. I feel like they need they have so many positions of need because they lost so many players in free agency. They signed Nick Casario signed like a number of guys last year on a one year yep. contract. And a lot of those contracts are expiring. And then you lose a lot of, of big name players in mm-hmm. free agencies. Well, they lost Justin Reed, who was their starting yep. safety, um, who, who didn't resign with the team. They brought back some other players, but they have a lot of positions of need. And I think they're sort of casting a wide net and looking at everyone. And they've got two picks in the first round. They've got the number three, and then they got the number 13 overall pick from which they got from Cleveland in the Deshaun Watson trade. So mm. I feel like they're looking to sort of build their entire roster. And and when you say take the best available, it really does plan because I feel like there are so many positions of need on this team. I mean, we saw, we, we, we've seen the offensive line. We've seen the running backs. I mean, your secondary, you've got guys coming and going uh, last year, they traded Bradley Roby, you know, mm. before the start of the season, they had like five running backs heading into the season and they come out of it. And the only guy they've brought back is Rex Burkhead. And they've got Scotty Phillips who 
you know, really was inactive all last year. So there's a lot of positions they're going to be looking at this year. And I think that with Davis Mills, the one thing that I think that they don't have to burn a top pick on is a quarterback because they kind hmm. of have a guy in him they can look at. I'm not saying that they won't maybe later on, maybe they won't sign someone else as a free agent, but I feel like it at least allows you to explore other positions through the draft with what you saw in him. Interesting. So where do you think they go at number three? Do you think they go offensive line? I've seen a lot of offensive line there where you just go offensive tackle and you just match whoever that is up with Laramie Tunsil and then you build your team that way. Do you go Kayvon Thibodeau at three if he's there? It seems like they're going to go trenches either way. I mean, there's the one wild card I've seen is like Kyle Hamilton, maybe the safety from Notre Dame who's a superstar. I'm hoping he falls to the Falcons, actually. So I would appreciate it. If <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I think anything is game. I mean, offensive okay. line. I would have said offensive line. But, you know, with them, uh, with them restructuring Laramie Tunsil's contract. Mm here this offseason a lot of people thought Larry Tunsil was going to get traded he was injured hmm. last year he landed on IR and then he didn't play the rest of the year and everyone thought maybe he wants to leave maybe they want to trade him maybe they're protecting him so they can trade him and then they re-sign him and they restructure his contract and then he hmm. tweeted out a Wolf of Wall Street scene um, with Leonardo DiCaprio basically saying yes. he's not going anywhere and he's back and I'm leaving out mm -hmm. all the expletives from that scene in Wolf of Wall Street right. but he seemed really pumped to be back so you've got mm -hmm. him you've got Titus Howard who played right tackle. He also played guard. Does he move back to tackle? Does he anchor the other side of the offensive line? I don't know. You've got Justin Britt, your starting center, who is also yeah. a free agent. A lot of people didn't think he was going to come back. Will they re-sign him as well? So you've got, you've got three big pieces on your offensive line. And then you've got Max Sharpie. You've got Justin McCray. You've got guys that can play on the interior. So I think they have options. I'm not saying they wouldn't sign an Evan Neal or somebody mm. that can play guard or tackle or another. I just interviewed um, a beat reporter on, on Charles Cross, who's also, mm. you know, a top Mississippi 10 state. Yeah. A left tackle out of Mississippi state. A lot of people compare him to Laramie Tunsil, but Laramie Tunsil started his career at left guard. So maybe huh. it's, maybe it's an offensive lineman. I mean, I think a lot of people like Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of yeah. Notre Dame, because, you know, I think they're intrigued by him, especially with losing Justin Reed and not, having you know a top flight safety back there you've got other guys that can play safety but i think they'd love to see a guy like kyle hamilton uh back there now me personally i just did a, a podcast talking about sauce gardner out of cincinnati mm -hmm. and yeah. i now he's my new favorite i mean it just, yeah you, you can ask me any day of the week who i think <laughs> the texans should take and i'm intrigued by a lot of these prospects i think they could also trade back out of number three if there's another team oh, wow. that is desperate to get a quarterback nick casario mm. has said multiple times the texans are open for business when it comes to dealing yeah. that three spot so would not surprise me at all if he decides to move back a little bit because there are like a lot of guys there between that three and 13 spot and it's like you don't know who is going to rank anywhere i've seen the falcons right there at what are they number eight Yep. I've seen Ohio State's Garrett Wilson mock to them. and No, don't. No, if we go receiver, I, I, I can't I, do it. No. They, they, they seem a little light on the receiver. And yeah, well, you know what? I, you know what? I, I wouldn't mind if the Texans took a Garrett Wilson off their hands because he seems mm -hmm. like plays outside, plays in the slot. He's, I mean, he's out of Ohio State. I went to a Big Ten school. I'm not an Ohio State fan, but Ohio mm. State is really churning out some big wide receivers in the last few years. So, I mean, to answer your question, I, I'm kind of – I'm also open to seeing who the Texans take with that number three pick because, and we didn't even talk about pass rushers. You've got Lovey yeah. Smith who 
loves to rotate D linemen. I mean, they brought mm. back Malik Collins here in free agency, which a lot of people are excited about. They've got John Bernard, who's in his third year. But if they want to take another edge rusher, pass rusher, ever since they lost J.J. Watt, you know, yeah. they, haven't, they, they, they could use another guy up front there as well. So, I mean, I, I don't really think there's any one clear-cut answer as to who the Texans draft with their first pick. How surprised would you be, though, if they don't use any of their draft capital in 2022 on a quarterback? I wouldn't. That wouldn't surprise me. Okay. In fact, I think a lot of people would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would be okay with that. You might take a, like, a later round pick, but Davis Mills is already a young quarterback. You know, I think it'd be nice to have a veteran in the room to sort mm-hmm. of guide him. And you can, you know, if something happens, if he gets injured, you can sort of step in like a Tyrod Taylor, but flip it, you know, this yeah. time. Davis is your starter and, and and the veteran sort of comes in as the backup and, and he can learn from him and sort of watch film with him and, and have him in that quarterback room. So like I mentioned, you got Kyle Allen, you know, maybe you add somebody else, but I, I just don't know. I mean, never say never. They could, they could take a quarterback day two or day three. There's a lot of interesting prospects out there, but Brian nothing, Hoyer is nothing, always, Brian Hoyer is always available. Like we've, just we've, send Brian we've... Hoyer a text, like Nick Casario's got him on. <laughs> he's got him just, he's got his number just ready to go. Like I Brian Hoyer, it's don't... time to come back in the building. Uh, Brian, I, Brian Hoyer, the, the person is a lovely person. I remember covering mm. him when he was here with the Texans, but the way his career ended in Houston, you know, I think that that chapter may be closed. Maybe we'll see. I don't know, man. That man, <laughs> he's going to keep getting work and keep getting checks at like 57 years old. You cannot might, convince me otherwise. Might. Um, I mean, Matt Shop, another uh, cross Houston Atlanta guy. Uh, right. Maybe you get him out of retirement. Uh, you <laughs> well, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzy, who was a guy, yeah, that was here uh, a journeyman. I believe he's still out there, and I think he's intriguing because he can also make plays with his legs. And man, yeah. what a beard! What a beard! <laughs> and great press conferences because really, it's all about for the media. Yeah, how entertaining you are in your press conferences. And I mean, Fitzy has my vote. He was just one of the smartest, most entertaining players I had ever seen um, at the podium after press after a game. Who have you enjoyed talking with the most? Who on the Texans right now do you think has the best? Not not maybe not the best personality, but kind of a personality that you're just like this guy is interesting and fun to cover. You know, they it, we've had so many new players come in in the last two years. There's been so much turnover. I mean, it's basically an unrecognizable team from 2019. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say, out of the new guys, I really enjoy. Um, I really enjoy some of the new players. I think Brevin Jordan, the tight end out of Miami, mm. is really a lot of fun. He grew up in Las Vegas. He is so young. He is the youngest player on the roster. I think he turned 21 last summer. Oh, wow. And I did an interview with him where our social media people. They pulled up random pictures and they wanted Mm -hmm. to see if a baby born in the 2000s would (laughs) recognize these pictures. And I looked at them and I was like, you guys, these are too easy. He's going to know all of these. It was like it was like a pager, um, the AOL Uh instant messenger logo. It was, um, you know, it was it was stuff like that. And And he didn't recognize them. Didn't know any of them. And I was horrified. I was horrified. I'd explain to him what AOL instant messenger was and how people use dial up. And he thought the pager was a cassette recorder. So he was, oh, wow. he had a lot of fun with it. We made so much fun of him. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's really a lot of fun. Roy Lopez is another guy who mm. I interviewed him and, and he was a former wrestler in mm. his high school days and just a long hair, great personality. He was, you know, one of the, one of the day three picks, but had a lot of meaningful starts because uh, Vincent Taylor was injured very early on in the season. And then Roy Lopez mm. came in and started on the D line and he just, he was just the grand marshal for the Mardi Gras parade in Galveston. Okay. And when I interviewed him, I asked him about wrestling and who he 
who he really enjoyed. And he said The Rock. And uh-huh. he told a story about how he used to watch highlights of The Rock every day on this TV VCR combo thing in his room, okay. which he seems too young for. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> how he preferred to watch The Rock every day. Yeah. And we tweeted out that clip and The Rock tweeted him back because they're both, you know, Latino and they're both wrestlers and they're both into football. Football, so, yeah. Um, I, I thought I thought he and every time I see Roy in the hallway, he's like, we I said, you made that happen. He said, we we made that happen. We made that moment happen. So he's, he's really entertaining. And I think these guys come in a year or two. They've kind of got the, you know, the rookie, the rookie season is done. They've got a little bit of confidence. They've had some games. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to see what they, they bring here in year two, but they definitely had a lot of personality in year one. What's the current beard status for Lovey Smith? Longer than ever. Uh-huh. It looked fantastic uh, when I saw him at the combine. Yeah. And people just love Lovey Smith. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I think when I met him last year um, and I was walking back with him after training camp one day, he was just so, you know, he's from Texas. I'm, I'm partial mm. to people, to coaches that are brought up in Texas. I just feel like I was, I did not grow up in Texas myself, I, mm-hmm. but I've lived here long enough that I consider myself Texan. Mm-hmm. It's just a different vibe. I mean, he's just so mellow. He's so laid back. He's just, he knows his stuff. He's just knows so much football and he's just calm, cool, collected, he gets after it though with the players, but the beard just sort of adds to the alert. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, when he was in Indy for the combine, there was a a Madden truck, uh, the mm-hmm. video gaming truck inside of the convention center, and they wanted Lovey to come inside so they could scan his beard <laughs> because they need a realistic beard for him for the new mm-hmm. Madden game. So did he do it? He did it. He absolutely okay. did. It was super cool. He just stood there and they scanned his beard. So they're going to have a very real looking, uh, breaking news, Lovey Smith's beard in the new Madden game. There you go. That's that's amazing. Look at how far we've come. We're just like, hey, coach, <laughs> coach, can you give us two minutes? We need to scan your beard. We need to just like make sure that it looks good. I thought with the, how far technology has progressed, mm-hmm. why could they not just draw a beard? Why couldn't someone make a beard? But I guess they just wanted to make it as real as possible. And the only way to do that was to get the actual beard itself get the coloring the shape and everything just right. mm-hmm. following free agency what position group do you still think the texans have a lot of work to do in where maybe it's through the draft or maybe it's going to take some time but when you look at this roster and you look at the depth chart what what positions of need are still a problem that have not been addressed as of yet uh, i mean i think there are a lot to be honest, mm-hmm. because you lost so many players in free agency. They, they brought back a few of their linebackers. They've signed a few more linebackers. I feel like you could never have too many linebackers in this, yeah. in this defense. But, you know, I think running backs, very intriguing. I mean, most people here want to see the Texans spend a draft pick on a running back because it's huh. been a while since they've invested a high pick. And, and last year, they signed a lot of running backs in free agency. They signed Mark Ingram. They mm-hmm. signed Philip Lindsay. I mean, they had, well, they had David Johnson through the DeAndre Hopkins trade yep. a few years back. They, none of those three are obviously on the roster now because David Johnson's a free agent. Philip Lindsay got cut and, and Mark Ingram got traded. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see if they bring in any more. They re-signed Royce Freeman, who was a guy that backed up yeah. Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers. And then the Panthers released him once McCaffrey Another Texas came guy. back. Yeah. And so he, so he, he played in some games towards the end of the year. Um, Scotty Phillips, who I mentioned, had a great camp last year, but then was mm-hmm. just on IR and and nobody really knew what his status was or what his status will look like this year. But I mean, I could see them. I mean, the problem with running backs is if they're free agent running backs, they're either coming off an injury or they're older. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's so much of a position as it is 
maybe guys that are really good that just need a prove it deal. You know, mm-hmm. I think the Texans did a really good job of signing some guys last year, like Justin Britt, their starting center, who was dealing with an injury all through 2020, he got released by the Seahawks uh, after the 2019 season, went to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl with them, was their starting yeah. center, played all over the line. And then he comes in here and, you know, he's healthy. He started as many games as he could as at center. You know, he missed a few in the middle there on IR. He he had some some injury issues and then missed some games mm-hmm. with COVID. But Overall, was a great leader. And I think this year, one of the intriguing free agents that they've signed to me is AJ Can. Similarly, who hmm. played his entire career with Jacksonville. And then last year had a, a season-ending knee injury. Hadn't really missed a lot of games before that. He missed maybe like a game here, a game there. And he has worked with the Texans O-line coach, Coach Warhop. Uh, they they were together in Jacksonville for a few seasons. So Coach Warhop brings AJ Can in here, who's familiar with how he likes things done. And AJ can is coming off an injury, but has a lot of experience, a veteran guy who played a lot of games at right guard. So hmm. I'm intrigued by guys like that. I'm, I'm, it's not so much position as it is guys that maybe have a lot of potential, but they're coming off an injury and whatever team, you know, and if, if they can sort of bounce back from the injury now, it doesn't always work out because the Texans signed Marcus cannon and Elaine Taylor last year for their offensive yeah. line. And, and those guys still really struggled with injuries throughout the year, but sometimes it pans out. And, and you find it sort of a diamond in the rough that you can just sort of finish it up and then they can have, you know, the second half of their career, the second act of their career here with the Texans. We'll end on this. Um, how do you see this when you look at the schedule and you're thinking about what Vegas pegs them at? I, I, don't, even, I don't even have it in front of me what their win total is, their ever under. But when you look at all of that, and you think about where this team's at and what kind of position groups they still have to fill and how the draft will go. Where do you think the number ultimately falls for Houston? Where where do you see where do you see this Texans team being? I I am really bad at predicting these things only because we haven't even had the draft yet. And I yeah. we're gonna add so many new players in the draft. And I think Nick Casario is just getting started with his transactions. I mean, we're it's not like last year. It wasn't it's not so fast and furious, but it's like a steady stream of guys that the Texans are signing every day. So mm-hmm. once we see the entire roster. Um, assembled in camp will have a better idea. But that being said, the Texans only won four games last year. And mm-hmm. I feel like even though you have a new head coach in Levy Smith, it's not, it's not a brand new regime. I mean, there's a little bit of carryover. He's he he's seen, he know he knows these guys. He knows what the roster is. Nick Casario's now in his second year. You've got Pep Hamilton, who was here last year as well. So I feel like Nick Casario did such a phenomenal job with the draft last year. All he only had five draft picks, but all five of them ended up starting or having some meaningful snaps Hmm. uh, throughout the year. So I think that if he can hit a few more of these draft picks this year, I would expect them to definitely win more than four games. And, you know, it'd be nice if they got close to that 500 mark, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll surprise us. I don't know. I think it really just depends on, on Davis Mills and this run game and this offense. I felt like the defense last year had this team in a lot of games towards throughout the third quarter it was just in the fourth quarter that they were gassed and you know the other team would just sort of run away with it because the offense for you know had a lot of its own issues three and outs getting off the field uh the defense played really really exceptionally well through a lot of games so i think that if you can sort of fix some of your issues on offense they should be a more a definitely a more competitive team this year but i think you know as far as like playoff hopes and winning afc south titles you know, you, you've got a lot of work to do before you can start making those sort of predictions. But 
you hope that you're trending in the right direction with just fixing, seeing what you had from last year, building on it, and then fixing the areas of being this year through the draft and free agency. There you go. There you go. Well, how do people keep up with your work, DP? What can they look out for at HoustonTexans.com and all of your other great content this week? Oh, well, thank you so much. You can follow me on Twitter at DeepsLand. Mm -hmm. And if you go to HoustonTexans.com, I've got uh, all my stuff is there. My podcasts are there. We're going through all the top draft prospects. I've got the Deep Slant podcast that I do maybe once or twice a week. That's Also, you can download the Houston Texans mobile app if you're a Texans fan. If not, I think it's on iTunes. But follow mm. me on Twitter. Follow me at HoustonTexans.com, and we'll keep you posted with what the Texans are doing. And, and sometimes I like to just interview other people throughout the league and see what their teams are up to, too. Well, there you go. Uh, the t- the Falcons, nothing's going on. It's fine. <laughs> There's nothing going on. We're probably going to be bad. Uh, that's that's what's going on. You're You've got a lot of AM. draft picks. You've got a lot of draft picks as well. So <sighs> I'm nervous. I this is just going to be the worst Falcon season in my adult life. I am 30 years old. I turned 31 <laughs> uh, next month, and the Falcons have been competitive throughout my entire life, and now uh, it's over. So it's just, it's a brand new era. It's a brand new era in Atlanta. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Bryce Young, 2023. Let's make it happen. DP, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to check back in again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Chase. Pleasure being on. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who gets the opportunity, who just has this tremendous opportunity to play in a stadium where I would not be able to coach or play in because I would be staring out into the mountain range and just stare out into just how perfect and how scenic your stadium is. It was not known to me until the FCS playoffs, Coach. I will be completely honest. And then I see it and I'm like, I've got to go. Suddenly you are a destination spot for college football fans who are like, oh, this is amazing. We have to go see this. This is the coolest setting in college football that no one knows about. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. We have an amazing setting in college football. The settings will go in the pack stadium on top of that. Um, Something to, to behold, and, and you know, um, our guys are really fortunate to to have it all on all ends. The support, uh, um, the amazing, you know, place that we we get a chance to, to compete in, and our guys go to school here, and just be uh, to, to be in both on a daily basis is a real real. Tr- well, how is the off season going thus far? What uh, how's it going? Uh, I mean, spring practice uh, underway. We've got uh, we've got that going. So football, the break's over. I don't know if you really have a break in college football anymore. But how is uh, how's the spring going for you and your team? Good. We're uh, four practices in. Uh, we got five tomorrow. Uh, we're going over a course of five weeks, three times a week. So kind of learning in between and. You know, like the the progress we've made so far. Um, you know, we lost we lost five starters on each side of the football. Um, some really good players in that mix, um, but we return a lot of good players too. And this is always the time of year where you get a chance to see new guys emerge. Uh, some of those the guys that played supporting roles take a take another step forward. And you know, I think we got some young, hungry guys that want to get out in that field and, and show what they can do. Beginning stage, but uh, the direction we're heading. Is there anything you're still 
you're still thinking about from last season is is there one particular game one particular moment is there some uh, a play call you wish you had back is there something that you've been thinking about still uh now that the season's been removed for a couple months well i you know for us i think couple games didn't go our way we had three losses our first our last and then our last regular season game and i think in each one of those games there's there's, there's probably some plays, um, you know, late in our Wyoming game. You know, we had a chance to uh, put them away, and we did have an opportunity to 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 sort of see that way that game went. Um, you know, our Montana game, which is our last regular game, we we didn't we never really see the momentum. Um, and I think the one that probably takes us most is the national championship game. Um, you know, like lots made about. Tommy Millard, our quarterback, getting hurt, hurt the first sequence. So obviously, if I could prevent that, I would have. But it was it was more about their downs, the their first series on offense. They converted. I, I think those are the plays, and and we just, you know, we we didn't show ourselves the best we could have on that uh, that Saturday on Frisco, and um, you can't change it. You got to on from it, and, and that's we've. Uh, you know, that's been doing the last couple months is, is doing everything we can to to put the 22 together. Um, you know, it's a long road back to that that stage, and I think uh, explain that we just because we were there doesn't uh, doesn't mean we're going to get back there just because we need that we got a new team, um, you know, a new set of guys that we need on. So yeah, you look back and you. You want, if you do this and that and what, you know, ifs and buts, all that kind of stuff, drive yourself nuts. We just, uh, you choose to move on and uh, learn those those situations that didn't go our way and, and certainly reflect on, you know, many of the great moments we had as well. What drew you to Montana State originally? Was there one thing in particular that stood out for, for you that made you go, okay, this is this is the right fit for me now? Uh, you know, I don't know if there's one thing. There's a couple of things. We played out here, here uh, at NDSU at the time in, in 2010 in the playoffs. It was a, a second-round game. And, you know, I think what struck me is, is this This is a place at the FCS level that's obviously beautiful, but, I mean, it, it really has the makings, the support. Um, it was a cold December day, and it was a packed stadium. It was a rock environment. And just having – we didn't play them again um, in 11 11- – 12 and 13 but uh you know saw them on film a bunch so so knew that you know there was a lot of talent here through that stretch when i'm homing and I, I think getting more familiar with with this region of the country um recruiting and being part of a recruiting model to include the west a little bit more just felt my two you know, in two places north dakota state and wyoming but i felt like they really prepared me for for this opportunity and, and, you know, knowing that this was a, a place at the FCS level that could really achieve um, great things. Um, you know, you kind of, the, the life here uh, you mentioned in Bozeman is awesome. Um, but beyond that, we get a chance to, to really be supported and win football games. Our, our guys got a chance to have a great experience, um, get a, get an awesome degree. Um, and you throw those things together. It wasn't too complicated to pursue this job. What was the biggest uh, lesson that Coach Bull taught you? No, uh, I think I think preparation. I, you know, mm. that's, a, that's a very broad um, scale deal. I, I think it's, yeah, 
you know, going into every situation and, and being prepared. And, you know, um, he was uh, very much um, CEO, you know, the last uh, 18 years that I, that I had worked with metal explosives. Um, hired people you trust and let them do their job um, and, and make sure they're prepared. Give them a plan. I, I think that's the one thing, you know, we never went into anything I was working under under him where we didn't know what was what was going on and, and he didn't make sure that uh you know we all knew what we had to do for our team to be prepared. Um, you know, that's in season, that's off season you could look at it on a day day basis. Um you know this um experience working under him. Um, you know, he he had great mentors in his career, um, Coach Osborne in particular uh, at Nebraska, but you know he's obviously you know my primary mentor, and I can't thank him enough for all that I was able to learn. Um, when it comes to Josh Allen, how many times are you asked like, "Hey, what did uh, what did you know about Josh early on? Did you did you see this coming for him? Did you see him just being a perennial MVP candidate and just being a, an all time great and like a, a quarterback who is well on his way to a Hall of Fame career in the NFL?" Well, I think we certainly felt like he had the ingredients, um, mm-hmm. and he had he wasn't a finished product when he left us at Wyoming. He left a year early. Um, he made significant progress in his time there, but you know he's got tremendous gifts. You know, if if, if there's anyone to throw the ball better than him, I don't know who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really developed athletically um, you know, in our time together. But beyond that, his competitive um, drive and, and spirit is is off the charts. And, you know, I, I knew that his motivation um, wouldn't cease at the NFL level. I think a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of guys get paid um, and that motivation changes as they, they climb up the ranks. And I, I just, knowing Josh, um, he's always going to find a way to have a chip on his shoulder. You know, he had it coming out of high school with with no offers. He had it coming out of junior college with with the one offer, I guess. And he had it going in the NFL with all the the questioning of, uh, you know, who he could become. And, you know, now that he seems to maybe have it all made, I I guarantee he's going to always have that chip on his shoulder and always be striving to get better. And he's such a great teammate on top of all that that – it's rare that all that stuff comes together, you know, and I, I think he landed in a, a great place in Buffalo. Um, sometimes it's maybe as simple as getting in the right environment, but um, it all seems to be worth for sure. And I can't, uh, can't say how, how proud I am of him and just uh, look forward to watching him for a long, long time. What would you say is the most difficult thing for opposing defenses to understand or master about your offense? When you're going into a new week and teams are like studying film, they're trying to figure out, all right, how are we stopping the Bobcats this week? How, what are what can we do to really limit what y'all do well? What would you say about your scheme gives them the most headaches? I don't want to give away all our secrets. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think... I, I think if we're doing things right, you know, we have the ability to run the football first and foremost, and that uh, mm-hmm. that can be tailback run, that can be quarterback run. Um, you know, from a passing perspective, um, you know, trying to attack, attack through action. So, 
Um, and you got to have guys with ability on the outside. So, you know, hopefully in any given week, we can, we can have enough answers, enough different ways to do kind of the same thing. Um, you know, I, I think it, um, I think we want to be as simple as possible so our guys can play as fast as possible. I know it takes good players to do that. So, I don't know. I mean, we have, we had a fair share of challenges, I guess, but, um, you know, just that, uh, that ability to, to lean on different things and at the same time not stress our guys too much. I think the underlying just the principle to, to, to our offense. What's been the toughest lesson you've learned thus far in coaching since you've become a head coach? What's the toughest thing you've, you've learned? Well, I'm about, about 14 months into being a head coach. I, I think it's, uh, you know, there's been, hasn't been a lot of surprises. Really. I think that you ultimately get those first couple of times you realize that everything does stop with you, you know, everything, um, as far as the answers responding to uh, issues, um, ultimately comes to your desk. I think that's that's different. You know, your responsibility, I guess, at the end of the day is just different. Um, you're responsible for an entire team of young men as opposed to maybe just one side of the ball or just your position mm-hmm. group. There's a lot of layers that, um, you know, parents have entrusted our, our program, our coaches with and you know, there's, um, they're counting on you to um, do right by them, you know, to, to develop them while they're here at Montana State. And that's a big responsibility and one that, you know, I, I see differently now being a head coach. Um, fortunately, we ha- we don't have a lot of problems. We got a, a good, good group of guys here. Um, you know, I think we have coaches, assistant coaches that really relate well with our guys. But ultimately, um, you know, still you got 100-plus Young men, uh, it's not going to go all the time. Exactly, and you sometimes got to do podcasts with guys down in Knoxville, Tennessee. You never know where where the day's t- going to take you, Coach. You you just never know. It's part of the the whole head coaching thing. So I appreciate that. Um, if you had to describe to like you're in it, yeah, <laughs> yeah you uh, new people. Exactly, exactly. If you're in a living room and a recruits living room, and they ask you, they're like, okay. You want our kid to go to Montana State. You want to join. We, you want us to join your program and follow your lead. What is the best selling point of Montana State football? What What is your What is your favorite aspect to point to? Of like this is this is a cool thing that they're going to love when they come to Montana State. Well, I think uh, we're fortunate. We, we have a football program that's that's supported in a tremendous tremendous way. Um, we're in a thriving community that's growing and a, a amazing just uh, positivity to it. And then we're at a school that, uh, you know, is uh, top notch. It's a school that you're going to walk out of with a degree. And I can't say there's tons of play and there's, there's different opportunities out there that might have two of those three components. But I, I think I can look anybody in the eye and say we have all three of those components. So, you know, guys are going to have a, an awesome experience on the field. Going to be, they're going to feel like a big time here, and um, you know they're going to enjoy themselves um, in the classroom and, and get a great degree. But then you know Bozeman and all it has to offer this, this community um, really adds a whole other element as well. You have a day off, coach. 
nothing to do. The phone's taken away. You don't have to think about football for the day. What do you go do? What is what is your thing? What would you prefer to? How would you prefer to spend your day? Well, I have three boys. I have a senior freshman mm-hmm. grade, so I usually start uh, their activity. They all play yeah. football, basketball, and baseball. So, you know, outside of that, I think I've been in uh, the West in in the mountains now um, for the last mm-hmm. eight years. Um, you know, getting out and skiing in the winter or, or doing some hiking in the summer might be we do it for my wife and I. It definitely starts with you know at a field or a gym somewhere and i i do enjoy that i think uh you know being a dad i i think you you're a dad first and the coach if it does not always time wise work out that way but uh you know one step away and you can be a dad and sit up in the ends and if your kids have great experience that's the top of the list for me okay um has there been a a crazy animal sighting thus far. Have you seen, have you seen a big animal? Have you seen some big game since you've been in Bozeman? Um, have not run across any, uh, bear. Fortunately, I think that no was grizzlies. a big one. Uh, mm-hmm. coming back skiing, uh, from big sky anywhere we came around and there was, a. Uh, Couple big horn sheep. I, I'd never seen okay. a big horn sheep out in, out in the wild, and they're big. And <laughs> those horns are 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 there. Um, they were. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. They were just uh, there was a sign. They were passing, and sure enough, where they were. I think the way knew where they liked to be, and they were there. And everybody slowed down. And now we've been at Yellowstone. So you go in Yellowstone, you, you see. Bodies and elk, all that, but as far as just driving yeah. along the road, that was probably the one. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll end on this. Coach, you get a cheat meal. Like you're I know you're a fit guy. You like to go to the gym. You're you're staying in shape so that you can uh, suit up if necessary. We saw it South Carolina this fall. Graduate assistants have to be ready, coaches should be ready. You never know who's gonna get uh, thrown in there. So what uh what what's your favorite cheat meal? What what, what what do you like to eat that you're like okay I cannot eat this every day but if I could I would. Hmm. Well, I'm far from being able to suit up. I know that first of all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm a Scandinavian. I'm 100% Norwegian, but um, my uh-huh. favorite food is Mexican. So I would eat any form of Mexican food every day, uh, spicy and all that okay. kind of stuff. So. Um, yeah, we have a lot of good options here and and that's probably where I would begin and end. Okay. I was not expecting Mexican food. So Bozeman, Montana, if you're looking for some good Mexican, uh, dishes, there's some, there's some good spots there. Not bad. Yeah. It's all relative. I suppose I've been up in the North my whole life, so it's all relative, but certainly passes the test. There you go. There you go. Coach, how do the good folks who are listening, uh, who are big college football fans that want to know more about Montana State, want to support you guys, see you on TV more, support the program? How do they support the Montana State Bobcats this spring, this summer? How do we uh, how do we support you guys? Well, I think just as close as we can, I, I know, uh, you know, spring is 
uh, a little different time as far as our, our coverage. Our coverage is primarily local, but uh, I think mm-hmm. we, we do get excellent coverage out here. Um, and TV, all that. Uh, you know, I know our, our spring game is going to be on on Montana-wide TV. I don't know if we can catch it beyond that. Um, but okay. I know in the fall, we have a big time to get ESPN release. So, yeah, each and every week, uh, you find us on ESPN Plus. Continue that. You know, um, spreading the. Uh, I don't think we're exactly out the beaten path, but we are a little bit. You know, we got product to sell here, and anybody that's uh, you know up our way that goes to so long to see that big sky. You know, take it a little detour and uh, you know check our campus out, check our stadium out. It's a sight to see. I'm excited, man. I'm excited for what you're building up there. You had a great run this past year. A um, lot of lot of great building blocks, great stadium, great atmosphere, and I'm excited to see you guys on TV more. I'm going to come up there. I got to be up there for a game. I, I got to make it up to Bozeman. My grandma, my late grandmother, her favorite spot was Montana. That was her favorite vacation spot. So I want to I want to make it up and see a game because that that is just a you've you've gotten a bucket list out of me where it's just like as a big college football fan myself that like that I, I got to see it I got to do it I got to experience it well we're counting on it yeah well the press box has the best view it's uh view of the Bridger Mountains and yeah. you have a tough time keeping your eyes on the field from there well, there you go. There you go. Well, we'll make it happen. Coach, good luck this spring with spring ball. Good luck this summer and this fall if we don't talk again before then. But thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, and I uh, I greatly appreciate uh, you carving out some time for the podcast this evening. Thanks for that. Appreciate you us. All right, that'll do it for today's edition here on the Chase Owens Podcast. Thank you again to DP, to Coach Vegan, and to Coach David Thorpe for coming on today's episode of the program. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, all of their appearances and uh, enjoyed this program as a whole. Uh, It was a lot of fun to put together, and I enjoyed so much talking to all three of them on this very podcast. So go support them, follow them, all that good stuff on their social media channels and all that good stuff. So uh don't forget folks if you enjoyed today's episode and you have not already done so go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode but if you're already subscribed thank you for that make sure that uh you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcast go follow us on youtube oh yeah we're on youtube video component to this very program if you prefer to watch it uh, while you're doing other stuff uh throughout the day youtube.com type in the chase the most podcast that simple hit that subscribe button never miss an episode on that front um yeah uh go ahead and hit the sports renaissance man.substack.com type in your email that simple sports renaissance man that's me and uh you can email this very program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com and uh, follow us on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer new episode tomorrow because yeah this is a daily show new content for you folks every single day here on the chase thomas podcast so uh, i will talk to you guys tomorrow go balls nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah